Will you stand with me as we read God's word in reverence and respect for his word? Philippians chapter 2 verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I'm being offered as a and being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. That's the word of the living God. Amen. We be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to the name of Jesus and we praise you and lift and honor and glorify your name. And we're just asking right now as a part of that, that we would just come under your authority and listen for the sound of your voice because you're going to speak to us in the next few minutes. I'm not, but you are. And that's what we're praying for. You speak to us, Lord. And I pray you'll give us ears to hear. I pray you'll remove any kind of distractions or anything that would um, try to move our focus away from you. This constant uh, battle in this world that we live in because we know the world is not bent toward you. Uh, it's been away from you. And whatever it can do to distract us and uh, get us out of focus, it will do. And so, Father, we pray. And, of course, needless to say, the flesh does that and the enemy as well. And we just pray, Jesus. We acknowledge right now something that we need to affirm and acknowledge, and that is what we talked about a while ago, and that's we can't do anything without you. We desperately need you to speak in this text to us because... You're the one who wrote it. And you have a message to penetrate every heart today uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you and calling upon you to speak to our hearts and to guide and direct everything that goes on in the next few minutes. We love you and worship you and praise you, Jesus. In your sweet name we pray. Amen. Picking up from last week, as we look at the passage of Scripture in the Bible, does anybody remember uh, the outline that we suggested last week that we follow when we begin to study the Word of God for ourselves and then endeavor to teach it to those we're responsible for? Does anybody remember what it was? Revelation. Okay. Illustration. Application. Revelation, illustration, application. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. And I think it'll help you. It does me, I'll tell you that. And there's biblical precedent for it because like we talked about, it's not something we just made up. It's uh, when God details for us in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21 through 511, the glorious doctrine of justification by faith, that's the outline the Lord pursues right there. Revelation, illustration, application. And so when you're studying the Bible for yourself and you're studying it devotionally and then you're preparing to teach it to your children uh, or somebody you're discipling, keep that in the back of your mind and see what the text reveals, see where it's illustrated in the Bible, and then let's see where, how we can apply that to our lives. And we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 in particular. We've gone through 14 through 16. Now we're here at 17 and 18. And the Apostle Paul says, Yes, and if, I, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice 
with me. When the Apostle Paul talks about being poured out as a drink offering, he said those same words virtually in 2 Timothy chapter two, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. He said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering when he was getting ready to, or anticipated his, uh, his, his looming death. He talks about being a living sacrifice, and the Bible says here, after, I mean, or the drink offering he's referring to, we talked about last week, it says, after placing a sacrificial animal on the altar, the priest would take wine or sometimes water or honey and pour it on the burning sacrifice, and it would burn it up and it would evaporate and form a vapor and just float up into the nostrils of God. We talked about last week that the sacrifice really is a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. Any sacrificial act that has ever been carried out or ever will be carried out all flows from Calvary. Any sacrificial act endorsed by heaven that's ever been carried out or ever will be carried out, its source finds itself in Calvary. You think about it. The tabernacle when the sacrifices were given and the sacrificial system was given in order to appease temporarily the righteous judgment of God upon sinners. And they would, they would cut the goat's neck or the bull's neck and slaughter them and take the blood sacrifice and pour it over the altar. And then once per year go into the most holy place. We studied at length that when we talked about the tabernacle. What did all those sacrifices point to? Every one of them pointed to Calvary. They were looking forward to Calvary. Now, sacrifice looks back. But the, it's not just the model of all sacrifices. It's the origin of all sacrifices. Let me, say this, let, me, let me say this to you. And we've talked about this before. The way to judge, and only God can, but the way to judge the merit of an act, whether or not something is good or bad, do you recall how do you judge whether or not something's good or bad? See, now this is the way we judge it. We judge it based on consequences. Most of the time, our routine is this. If I do something and it seems to produce good consequences, it must have been a good act. To the contrary, if I do something that produces bad consequences, it's a bad act. But that's not the way God judges. Does anybody remember the point we made as to what determines whether or not an act is good or bad? Anybody remember? Origin. It's origin. It's where it came from. It's right. If it, but it will glorify God if it comes from the Holy Spirit. If it comes from the Holy Spirit, it's always good. If it comes from the flesh, it's always bad. No exception. And so the, the, every sacrificial act that's truly sacrificial in nature, that is for God's glory, originates and finds its origin at Calvary. Now, the, the reason that's so important and the reason that's, that's, that's what the Apostle Paul is referring to here is what he's really saying is this. He's saying that the priesthood, the communion that you enjoy with Christ, because see, when he says the sacrifice and the service of your faith, when it says sacrifice, it's referring to actually an, act, an actual sacrifice. And when it says service, it's referring to liturgy. It means a Offering upon a sacrifice that's offered in service to God is really the talking about a priestly action or a sacrificial performance. And so what that really means is, in essence, he's saying the priesthood of the believer. Your communion with God. If my life is being spent 
to enhance or encourage your communion with God, it'll be well worth the price. You know, we talked about how that when Jesus was pictured, we see Jesus in, in the preceding passage that Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to, but humbled himself and became a man, a servant, a slave of God, and became obedient even to the point of death, the death on the cross. And we examine that text over and over and over again. When you look at that, Jesus did that to reconcile us to God. Jesus did that so we could commune with God. That we could have a relationship with God. We need to frame Christianity in its biblical frame, and that is this. This book is not a book of, of rules and regulations. This book, is a, this book is not a rule book. This book is a guidebook to guide us to a personal relationship with God through His blessed Son. And what he's saying is, is the communion you have as a priest. In other words, I don't, have an, I don't have but one mediator between God and man, and his name is Christ Jesus. And you and I, through purchased by his blood, have direct access to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Holy Spirit lives inside us, and we have communion. We have a relationship with God. And the Apostle Paul says, if my life being spent over the sacrifice and service of your faith, in other words, your communion with God, if my life enhances your communion with God in any measure, it will be well worth the sacrifice. When we looked at that text about Jesus, we said, you know what? This text doesn't define what love is, but it does define what love does. And that's exactly what we find in verses 17 and 18. What agape love, the essence of agape love is this. And you've heard, you've heard us define it this way many times. is being willing to give up our life for the spiritual benefit of somebody else. That's what agape love is. There's no selfishness in here whatsoever. There's no self-awareness in this whatsoever. And the Apostle Paul is saying this. If my imprisonment, because this is one of the prison epistles, wrote this from a house arrest under a Roman guard, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And what he said was, if, I, if my imprisonment and the hardship in my life encourages your faith, encourages your communion with God, if I am used as a tool by God to point you to His blessed Son, then whatever that means for my life, whatever that costs me, it will be well worth the cost and I rejoice over it. Do you know what we've wrestled with ever since the Garden of Eden? We've wrestled with a bunch of things since the Garden of Eden. But you know what the one that went? One of the things that we've wrestled with since the Garden of Eden? Self-consciousness. The reason after Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God and fell in the Garden, the reason that they were ashamed when they discovered that they were not clothed it's because for the first time since they've been created, they were self-conscious. See, before that happened, they were completely God-conscious. And because they were so focused on Him, they thought nothing of the fact that they didn't have any clothes on. 
And we've been struggling with self-consciousness ever since. I believe, let me tell you, you know, in studying for this, and this verse has harassed me for the last, and I mean it in a good way, for the last two weeks. I'm on the Appalachian Trail, and I'm, all I'm thinking about is, God, what does that verse 17 mean? What does verse 17 mean? And I'm going to tell you this. Here, here, here's the thing. When I, when I was examining this and looking through this, I was thinking that one of the greatest things that will make heaven heaven is it will no longer be self-conscious. You know, it'll, 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 it will at the end, at that point in time, to perfection, it will be about Him. And the Apostle Paul was as close probably as you could probably get on this earth as not being self-conscious. And basically what he was saying was, is, I'm so spent, I'm so dead, I'm so ruined because of the cross of Calvary. I'm so free that if my life is going to be used by God to enhance your communion with God, I'm willing to pay whatever price it is. If we saw the Christian life like this, we'd forgive each other quicker than we forgive each other. If we saw the Christian life like this, we'd be willing to go the extra mile more often than we go the extra mile. Did you know that the only thing in the Bible that I can know, that I, you help me on this, and you send me an email if you differ, but the only thing that I know of in the scriptures that marks us out as belonging to Jesus Christ is that we have love for one another. That's it. That's it. That's it. And let me tell you what kind of love that is. That's not just a fond affection for somebody. Boy, gee, I just like you. I mean, man, I tell you right now, Josh, I mean, you're just a good, good bud, you know, that kind of thing. That's, that's filio. That's, that's a brotherly love type thing. Agape is sacrificial. Agape means I'm willing to give something of myself for your communion with God. Dad, let me talk to you about that. If the hearts of the fathers are going to be turned toward the children, they have to be turned toward the Lord Jesus first. And one of the manifestations of a heart of a father being turned toward his children is being turned toward God. And one of the first places he'll turn your heart once you turn toward him is toward your children. Are you willing to spend any measure of yourself as a drink offering so that your children could commune with God? In other words, let me ask you a question. For those under our care as fathers, is there anything more important than that my children know and walk with their God? Is there? Not one thing. You can't name a thing. As a matter of fact, there's not a close second. As a matter of fact, everything else that you would be concerned about in their lives will flow from that one right there. If you get that one right, the rest of them will take care of itself. Amen? The family altar will alter your family. The family altar will alter your family. But you know what it's going to do? It's going to cost you something. Let me show you how that's illustrated in the Bible. It's an amazing text to me. It's something that just hits me upside the head. But do you know of all the miracles of Jesus, you know what the only one is that appears in all four Gospels? Does anybody know? The feeding of 5,000. It's the only one that's in all four of the Gospels. So apparently it must be a pretty important miracle. And you know what the amazing thing about that text is this? And I, and I, don't, believe that Jesus, I don't believe that Jesus threw that out there to kind of introduce a problem. I believe he meant it. 
But when the need arose, go look at the text and all the renderings of it and all four of the Gospels. When the need arose, do you know what his first response was when he turned around to the disciples? You know what he said to them? Anybody remember? You give them something to eat. That's what he said. He turned around to him and he said, you give them something to eat. And I believe from that text that we can draw from this. If they really knew who that was among them, and if they really had a great appreciation for who it was that said, give them something to eat, I believe that God would have worked through them to perform that miracle. But what he was saying was, in essence, this. Couple that with this one. When Jesus restored Peter in John chapter 21, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, how are you going to prove it? If you love me, what are you going to do? You feed my sheep. If you, want, if, you, if you love me, it will manifest itself in feeding those who I put under your care. And he didn't mean soybeans. He said, feed them spiritually. As a matter of fact, in the dialogue, and we can, we can go back and look at it, and we've studied it. But actually what he said was to him was, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I filio you. He said, then feed my sheep. Then he said, Peter, do you agape me? He said, Lord, you know I, I, I filio you. And then the third one, he said, Lord, Peter, do you filio me? And he said, Lord, yeah, I filio you. He, he showed he was a broken man. And that he, he, what he thought, what the, he thought he really loved God until he denied, denied him three times. And then he realized, absent Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside him, he didn't have any agape love for God. And neither do you and I. And he said, but if you do have agape love, let me tell you how it's going to manifest. Those I put in your care, you are going to feed with my word. Now that's going to cost you something. That's going to cost me something. That's going to cost us something. That's going to be the drink offering that will pour out on the sacrifice and the service of their faith. Look at Jesus. Look at the life. His life characterized this when he turned over the tables in the temple. That's essentially what he was saying. He said, you know what? Here, here the deal is. You're buying and selling and merchandising in the temple. And you're taking worship and you've, 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 you've downsized it. You have degraded worship to a to a, a, a to a, a buying and selling transaction to, to to gain financially off of the backs of people who really want to sincerely come and worship God. You have put a price tag on worship and you've so minimized it and so made it a nothing thing, it's lost all its meaning. And yet I came to do one thing and one thing alone. I came to die so that people can worship God. I can understand why he got upset. You make it pennies. It's going to cost me my blood. You have you've downsized and degraded worship to such a point. And what did he, what did he what was he essentially doing? What was he saying? He was saying this: I am so possessed, so consumed, because the Bible says in that text, "Zeal for your house has consumed me." It says that of our Lord, quoting from Psalm sixty-nine. And it says that basically what he was saying was, God is so worthy of worship. The Father is so worthy of worship. I'm willing to spend myself on the cross of Calvary in order to make a way for people to worship him. And you put a price tag on this. In other words, communion with God is everything. That doesn't give a life. That's the only source of life. Now what are you willing to give 
for those in your care that they can commune with God. First of all, you've got to be communing with Him yourself. You and I. We've got to spend time with Him. We've got to crack open the Bible and spend time listening to what thus saith the Lord. And listening to, to try to discern what He's doing in a given situation and how He's moving. And then we can impart what we're learning to others so that they can whet their appetite to know God like we know Him. To walk with Him. To have a personal, living, breathing relationship with Him. So the Apostle Paul in verse 17, when he said, I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And you know what? Don't weep with me over that. I'm glad and rejoice with you all for the privilege of doing it. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Jesus had such a hold on this guy. It's the same hold. It's the same hold that manifests itself in the words of our Lord himself in John chapter 12. Go look at it with me. Look at John chapter 12. And look at verse 27, if you will. Speaking of the cross, Jesus said in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Therefore, glorify your name. What purpose was he speaking of? What did you say, Jack? The cross. He said, I'm here. This is the reason I came. I'm born crucified. I came to die. Why? To recruit worshipers for the Father who worship God in spirit and in truth. And the only way a way is going to be paved for, the, for worship recruitment is through my blood. I'm willing to share it and I rejoice over the privilege of doing so. Look at Luke, Luke chapter 23, verse 28. Look at 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 28. Can I say this? When we speak of the cross and we look at the cross and we think of images of the cross, maybe you've seen movies and you've seen like the Passion of Christ and you've seen depicted so well and so graphically the suffering that took place on Calvary's Hill and our compassion toward our Lord and thinking, oh my, to be brutally killed like that and sacrificed for my sin. You stop back and reflect on that. If you're not careful, you can begin to feel sorry for him. Well, look what he said in this text. Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for your children, yourselves and for your children. Jesus rejoiced over the privilege of dying for mine and your sin. And the Apostle Paul said, Listen, if I'm being spent, if I die in prison, or if they take my head off, if it means that your communion with the Lord is enhanced, or the appetite that you have for the Lord grows, and your desire to walk with Him relationally, and to obey Him, and to follow Him, if I'm some kind of example set forth to where you grow in your relationship with Him, rejoice with me over the privilege of doing so, because God deserves to be so glorified, I'll be taken care of, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, and I'm going to move on, no problem, don't, don't lament, rejoice with me. It should evoke joy, that kind of consecration, that kind of surrender. Do you know, have you ever, have you ever heard anybody give a testimony and somebody who really has been used of God and they talk about the, uh, their, 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 their history with Jesus and what He called upon them to do? Do you know they never characterized it in terms that there was any sacrifice involved at all, even though there was sacrifice involved? 
don't characterize it like feel sorry for me or, wow, I deserve some stars because I made some great sacrifice. They characterize it as being a privilege. And they characterize it as unmitigated joy. Do you know why there's so joylessness in the, in the Christian community? It's because there's such a crosslessness. If I'm poured out on the sacrifice and service of somebody else's faith, if God can use me to point somebody else to his son, if God can use me for somebody else to enter into deeper communion with Jesus, whatever that means for me and whatever that costs me, whatever that price tag is, I rejoice over the privilege of paying it and I rejoice over the calling of God to let me be involved. I rejoice if my life is spent and being spent for the spiritual benefit of other people. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He expresses the same principle. He does it in just a little bit of a different way here. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians Same principle to a different church expressed in a different way. But in verse 14, it says, Now for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdened, burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly, look at this, here's the principle right here. I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Even though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved by you. You've got to be careful when you talk about sacrificial living in the life of a Christian. You've got to be careful when we talk about the challenge to sacrificial living as a believer. Because we always got to qualify it with this. That does not add to or take away from the cross of Jesus. Everything that was done to redeem people that you care about that you have influence in their lives was done by Jesus, not by you and I. But the motivation and the catalyst for that kind of sacrificial living is the cross of Jesus because it all flows back to Calvary anyway. It's a manifestation of the work of the cross in the life of a believer that we would have such a desire that those who are under our care and those we care about and come in contact with, we would want to recruit them as worshipers of Jesus and we would want to do everything that we possibly could to pour the word into their lives so that they could commune with him as well because we've come to know and believe it. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're the one who has the words of life. Best thing you could ever want for anybody that you care about is that they walk with Jesus. Not that they have a lot of money. Not that they have a great education. Not that they have a great uh, uh, house or uh, prominence or influence or prestige, the best thing if you really care about somebody that you could ever want for anybody you care about is that they walk with Jesus. And the Bible says better a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. And the Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no trouble with it. We go out and try to bless ourselves all the time and we have nothing but trouble to prove it. 
And yet there's a quiet confidence that comes from being one of God's own. There's a Sabbath rest for the people of God where you hang all your hopes on Him. And you say, Jesus, I am going to sucker from your breast. And the only words that are going to give me life, the only words that are going to motivate me, the only words I'm going to chew on, the only words I'm going to bother to meditate on are going to be yours. When you give me something, I'm all too willing to have with open arms to share it with somebody else. The priesthood of the believer, the sacrifice of the service of the Philippian church and their faith. And the Apostle Paul was saying, these letters, my life, even the opportunities that God's given you to contribute to my financial well-being so that I can have substance. It's not about me. It's not about the gift. It's about your heart and the blessings that it will afford to your account. We'll find out later for having given it. All of these things. If God has put me in a position to where my life is spent and being spent for your spiritual benefit, so be it. I do not lament that. I do not mourn that. Don't feel sorry. Rejoice with me over it because it's the greatest privilege that could ever be afforded anyone because love demands a sacrifice. It just flat does. The agape love that flowed from Calvary's hill, the same spirit that motivated Jesus to say, you know what, Father, your glory is worth everything. And your glory should be displayed from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Send me. Let me go down there. Let me. Call me. Put me in that position so that I can die and recruit worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation and gather around your throne one day and lift up your worthy name because your glory and your majesty demands that you be worshipped. And praise from this time forth and forevermore. And if that means the cross of Calvary, so be it. If that means sacrifice to that point, so be it. If that means shame and disgrace, so be it. If it means whatever, so be it. That's the testimony of a spirit-filled believer. To say I'm willing to spend and be spent for the spiritual benefit of other people. My children, people I lead to Christ, people I disciple, people at work, they are to be better off as a result of being around you, whether they ever accept Christ or not. At least give them a legitimate chance to reject the legitimate Jesus. If they reject the legitimate Jesus, let it be that they saw the legitimate Jesus in you and not some sorry Counterfeit. There's a video on the web. It's about an hour and eight minutes long. It's from a pastor in Canada. And he's recounting a... um, It's on YouTube. And it's a pastor who's recounting. I can't think of his name right now. But he's sitting there just in his office in front of a bunch of books. And he's just kind of letting him talk about a revival they experienced in Canada several years ago. And so I've watched it two or three times because I was thinking, wow, it was just, it's an awesome thing to hear uh, him recount. If you want me to, and you email me and I'll email you a link to it. Or I'll call Spencer and ask him how to do it and I'll email it to you. But um, this one thing he said, had a, a, a member of his church who was a real woman who had kind of a bent toward legalism and just a real puffed up lady. And God began to deal with her and deal with her heart during the revival. And he got a hold of her. And she was broken and repented over what was 
a real major issue in her life, and it was spiritual pride. Well, she was the only member of her family that went to church. The only member of her family who was involved in church, the rest of the family was lost. And she said that she came up, came up and responded to an invitation. And, and I think when he responded to the invitation, the pastor was like, when he saw her come down, thinking, oh boy, what's this going to involve? You come up here to publicly tell me off because I did something wrong or whatever, because that was kind of her reputation. He broke and repented before God. Before long, her family saw the changes in her life and they all got saved. And here's what she said. She said, they didn't reject Jesus. They just rejected the Jesus they saw in me. That's convicting, isn't it? They didn't reject Jesus. They just rejected the Jesus they saw in me. Because you know why? He wasn't the legitimate one. It wasn't the legitimate one. Let me ask you a question. If the epicenter of Christian faith, and it is, if the epicenter of Christian faith is the cross of Calvary, would you agree with that? Would you say that the absolute center of the Christian faith is the cross? Anybody take exception to that? I mean, we hang all of our hopes, and well we should, on what happened on that hill. And three days later when Jesus was raised from the dead. All of that, it all goes, it all boils down to that right there. If that sacrifice is everything to us, and we know it to be the only way to heaven, and our only hope, but praise God we have hope, shouldn't the life of a Christian be characterized by sacrifice? Just a question. Shouldn't it? Sometimes we don't love because we view it to be too big of a risk. I appreciate Donna's testimony this morning and her honesty in her testimony. But one of the things I know weighed in the balance of her talking to her friend was whether or not her friend would probably ever speak to her again. Or maybe reject her so much so that she just wrote her off and all of that. But you know what? Love looks beyond all that and says, you know what? Here's the bottom line. Your life is falling apart, self-destructing right in front of me. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, not what is the answer. I know who is the answer. If the cross of Calvary is the epicenter of Christian confession, and the sacrifice that was there is what we hang our hats on. Then shouldn't our lives be characterized by sacrificial living? 